Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Armstrong, Executive Director of the Internet Society Foundation, a philanthropic organization that works with vulnerable populations around the world to address the need for internet connectivity and digital literacy. The Internet Society Foundation, which is the philanthropic arm of the Internet Society, receives its financial support from .org domain sales through the nonprofit Public Interest Registry. Sarah and I discuss the main causes of the digital divide globally and how the Internet Society Foundation is stepping in to help address those challenges, including with skills grants or funding for global organizations that are helping individuals and communities use the Internet to ultimately achieve economic growth and access to education. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So just to start things off, can you tell me a little bit about the Internet Society Foundation, um, particularly what role the organization plays in addressing the digital divide? Absolutely. And first of all, I do want to thank you very much for asking us to join, meaning me and the entire small organization that I represent The Internet Society Foundation is a rather new organization. We actually were not established until 2019. We are a supporting organization for the Internet Society, which is an organization that was formed decades ago by the pioneers of the Internet. It was extremely important to these people that someone was paying attention to the technology, the policy, the different aspects about how the Internet was growing. So they've been working for decades, and what they decided to do a few years ago was try to expand their vision and their mission through philanthropy. So they made a very deliberate decision to go ahead and establish a foundation. Well, that foundation is the one for which I am the executive director called the Internet Society Foundation. And the Internet Society Foundation is dedicated to the same vision as the Internet Society, and that is the Internet is for everyone. I'm going to say that again. It is for everyone. And that's what we spend our days and, yeah, sometimes nights, because we are a global organization, thinking about how we can do that. How can we close the digital divide? How can we use the Internet to make sure that people's lives are improving? I come from a background of humanitarianism, foundations, nonprofits, and international development. And my passion is huge here because I've seen the difference that the internet can make in places around the world. And we target very much the vulnerable populations. And we target them not just in getting them connected, but we also target them to help them understand the benefits of being connected. Because part of the digital divide is not just that you don't have the internet, but it's also that you may have it, but you don't know how to use it, or the content's not culturally relevant, or you're just not skilled in how to access it. So our foundation is sure to address both of the sides of these issues, connectivity and learning the benefits and how it can change your life. So how do we do that? We do that through funding, and we fund organizations around the world that address these very issues. We have five different funding programs, and I won't go into a ton of detail about each one. They are on our internet, or excuse me, on our URL, our website, which is ISOC 
isocfoundation.org, which is isocfoundation.org. You'll see under a tab called Funding Areas that we have five programs, one of which is for Internet Society chapters, one of which is for skill building and capacity building, which I know, Nicole, you and I are going to speak about in a bit more detail later. We have a research program, which is a variety of things looking at the future of the Internet and things that need to be done. One of those issues, in fact, is greening the Internet. What is the impact of the Internet on the environment and what is the impact of the environment on the internet. So we're doing some really interesting research there. And then, of course, also responding to COVID. When this happened six months into my new job, <laughs> I decided we had to respond because there's never been a more important time for the internet than during COVID. So we've de developed a program which we call Emergency Response. And that is to respond to that. So all of these different programs to which I've just referred do help to address the digital divide. And it is working with organizations that do that around the world. Wow. Um, I'm fascinated that this organization was started in 2019, just before the entire <laughs> Yeah, how about that? Internet. Um, so let's talk about some of the countries that you work with. I feel like I've gotten a lot of perspective recently on the situation in the U.S. So I'd love to hear about some of the internet access and equity challenges in some of the countries where Internet Society Foundation works. What are, you know, you spoke a little bit about the various challenges, but what are some of the specific ongoing causes of the digital divide, globally speaking? Yeah, so we really have a focus on three areas. Um, first, to let you know that in 2020, we worked in 58 countries and we provided 93 grants, and that was our first full operational year. So you can imagine that we have some very hardworking, passionate people. We are only a team of 10, uh, but we are all, like I said, very dedicated to the work. So um, some of the things that we've seen, I mean, I referenced some of them in my first response, but the three I would mention is being the really biggest internet access and equity challenges are affordability, infrastructure, and user capacity. So when it comes to force affordability, this is no surprise probably to a lot of people, but internet service can be really expensive. And if you live in a certain place and it's just part of your daily household, that's one thing, but it is not a daily household budget item for most people around the world the vulnerable populations, the underserved and the unserved. They just can't afford it. So that to us is one of the hugest challenges. And we do have programs. We are finding ways to get around that cost of broadband and building things like community networks, which I can go into later, that really help to bring the community access to the internet and again, education about the internet at an affordable price. So that's huge. So, you know, another thing just to mention in terms of that um, cost aspect is it has a disproportionate impact on women. Women in particular really lack the funds to purchase devices that are needed in order to access the internet, such as a mobile phone, something as simple as a mobile phone. And that's something you have to think about is not all of your programs are going to be on laptops because that's just not the way it is. Again, an affordability issue, right? 
Another issue, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you don't think about that because again, so many of us in the Western world are like, of course, we're going to be on our laptop, but that's not where a lot of people access the internet. Mobile phones and mobile phones of earlier generations are very common as well. It's not like we're talking smartphones. Um, so that's the affordability issue. The infrastructure is also a huge problem. There are many companies that are just not going into rural areas and uh, or even in certain urban areas if they feel that the amount of people they can reach is not enough to make it a great investment for them. So as a result, again, as I mentioned earlier, we need to find ways to bring broadband to people through other means. Uh, we have projects where we're working, for example, in California with tribal nations. We're working in the Amazon in northeastern Brazil, places that you can imagine don't have the infrastructure in place. So we need to find alternatives to a typical, quote unquote, infrastructure of what we might have in sections of New York City, sections of Washington, D.C., where I live. Although I will say that there are areas, Nicole, in New York City that lack this infrastructure as well, which is often a big surprise to people. So um, that's, that's a huge one. And then the final one, just to reference, is user capacity. And this is something to which I referred earlier, that people don't necessarily know how to use it. So being accessible and being equitable is a combination of infrastructure, affordability, and do you know what the benefits are to being connected and how to get those, particularly when we're living in a pandemic? Something as simple as connecting with your loved ones, continuing education, continuing healthcare, all of these things, you need to understand how to use the network that's available to you. So we see those as the biggest challenges. It's it's interesting, you know, the global challenges aren't too dissimilar from the challenges that we still have in the U.S. when it comes to the digital divide, it's just a different scale, it sounds like. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, what you referenced earlier, the, the skills grants. Um, the Internet Society Foundation recently announced a second round of digital skills grants with grants up to $150,000 being awarded to eligible organizations in Bangladesh, Colombia, and Senegal for projects lasting up to 24 months. So if I got all those details correct. You've got that right. Yes, you obviously went on our site. Excellent. I've Thank been you. To your website. It's one of the ways I prepare for podcasts it's uh you know come to my we're proud of our site it's it's pretty new and we're trying to make it as robust as possible um skills first of all is an acronym i am in an industry that loves acronyms so i come up with them uh this was very deliberate it stands for strengthening communities improving lives and livelihoods and skills is about skills it's about building digital literacy skills. And this goes back to the point I was making earlier about how being connected is just not always enough. And you need to understand what you can do. So in the case of skills for the Internet Society Foundation, we are looking at two particular areas. One is economic growth. What can you do to help grow and give yourself better employment opportunities? How can you build financial opportunities, 
increase your economic independence, and create sustainable income sources through the internet. So we have programs that are focusing on entrepreneurship, on agriculture, um, using the internet to increase agriculture yields through a better understanding of what the demands and the market changes are. Um, we're looking at businesses that are focusing on climate change and trying to really adapt to become more sustainable and environmentally friendly. This, of course, is, again, part of an economic growth aspect. And so we have a number of different programs. You mentioned we work in three countries, and I'll come back to how we chose those three countries. But we have a number of different programs in Bangladesh, in Senegal, and in Colombia that are addressing economic growth. Um, but the other area that we focus on with skills is education. And that, I don't have to tell you, has become more important than ever during the pandemic. So we focus not only on training and building skills for students, because that's hugely important, but, you know, teachers have been tremendously challenged throughout the world. We know what we've seen just in the United States alone to have to turn on a dime to become a remote teacher, and in the case of a student, a remote learner. So upskilling people in this area became hugely important. So as I mentioned, skills is about building skills. Skills is focused on economic growth, and it's focused on education, and it is one of the five programs of the Internet Society Foundation. Okay, got it. So um, let's talk a little bit. Uh, tell me some more about why you chose these countries um, and what are the qualifications and, and what's the timeline for, for this set of grants? Okay, certainly. Thanks. Uh, it is, as you mentioned, uh, in its second year. Uh, so we do have uh, a cohort from year one that we're working with now. And now we call a cohort B that we're going to be trying, you know, be bringing on soon. Um, why did we choose these countries? Well, because we are trying to do five different program areas, um, and all of the program areas that we've chosen are designed to fill gaps, that things that research that was done by Bridgespan, a consulting firm, identified areas that needed some funding and some attention. But um, in the case of some of the area of the program funding areas that we're doing, we went global, but we didn't want to do that with everyone. So we decided for skills that we would focus just on three regions. So LAC, Latin America and the Caribbean, which is Colombia, Asia Pacific, <clears throat> Bangladesh, and then obviously Africa was Senegal. And when we decided to do this, we thought, okay, one country per region to start with the vision of eventually expanding. How did we choose those three? Well, we did a lot of research. We looked at all kinds of universities, other institutions, and just got an idea of what countries were doing what. And we had attributes that were really important to us. We wanted mid-sized countries. We wanted lower to middle income countries. We wanted established organizations because remember, we fund organizations. We don't go in and do the work ourselves. So we wanted to make sure there were, these were countries that had established organizations. We wanted to be sure that they were in a location that we could expand into the region over the years. So for example, using Senegal, we figure at some point we may do all of Francophone Africa. That's an idea. But the other thing that's really important about these countries is that they have an ease of working. 
So there are a lot of countries around the globe, as I'm sure you're familiar, as I'm sure your listeners are familiar, that are very difficult to work in. They are difficult to get organizations to be allowed to take funding from outside organizations. So all these things that I've just mentioned to you, the size, the fact that they have organizations in there, the fact that they are middle to in, lower to middle income countries, thus vulnerable populations, but also the fact that there is an ease in operating in the environment. These are the ways in which we chose those three countries. All organizations that apply for funding for the Internet Society Foundation must be 501c3s or equivalent. So if you're in the States, it's easy to find you an organization if you're a 501c3. We do have an outside consultant that works with us to determine whether or not you are a 501c3 equivalent. So obviously, these organizations that are based in those three countries are countries that need to have an equivalency determination made before we can fund them. They need to align with our mission and they need a bank account. So those are important. <laughs> um, we also have to make sure that they have a good understanding of their country that, in which they're working and that they're really committed to the vision and the mission of the Internet Society as well as the foundation. So that's just a, a real quick um, answer to the second part of your question. And in terms of timeline, I won't go through every single date. People can look at the website. But we do have a process where we accept statements of interest, which actually ends tomorrow, the 28th. The statements of interest are reviewed. People are invited to provide a full application. Uh, once the applications are uh, narrowed down, we have an outside expert, actually a panel of outside experts who review the applications so that we are very transparent and accountable and we are using outsiders, not just our staff to review these things and make the decisions. So all that will be happening throughout the summer, and then we'll have grants awarded in the end of August. Um, can you share some examples from past the past round of what recipients are able to do with this funding? Of course. So in this case, the we had nine grantees for 2020 into 2021. As I mentioned, they're still busy, so I don't have a ton of impacts and results yet. We are extremely committed to making sure that we are always looking for results and impact and we know what our funding is going towards. In the case of Colombia, we have a wonderful program that we're running there. It's not just for Colombians, but actually for Venezuelan refugees as well. And we're working with women and youth. And in this case, we're helping women uh, micro-entrepreneurs who've already started new businesses, but they really need training. So a program we're doing there is helping, as I mentioned, the importance of skills is to provide training, digital literacy, skill building. There's also a group of youth with which uh, we're working and they are unemployed and they want skills to get up to date on IT and programming so that they can be more employable. So we're, this is something that we're doing in Colombia that we're having a lot of success with. Um, again, since we're new, I can't provide you every detail, but I will have a report for anybody who wants to see it as soon as the program is over. Um, yeah, and it, that would be fine because we're really proud of the work that's gone on so far. But as I mentioned, we're dedicated to seeing what the end results are as well so we can be sure that we're investing in the proper proper organizations and proper programs. 
Um, we also have a great program in Senegal, one in Bangladesh, again, funding in this case, teachers helping again because of the pandemic, as I mentioned earlier, the importance of education. So that's just an example there. And what we do is um, once these programs have concluded, we always do storytelling. One of the things that's very important to us with our grantees is to make sure that their stories get out there. So we make sure that you know, on the website or through social media that people can learn more about these programs. But we really are in all of these cases, um, widening, widening the future possibilities um, and preparing people for the future um, by using the internet in the right way and in the best way for them to improve their lives. It definitely seems like it. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me about all of this. I will be keeping up with you guys. I'll be checking out the website. (laughs) Okay. I encourage everyone to do the same. Yes, we are thrilled with what's going on and um, we want to share it with anybody who's interested and, and just, you know, please encourage anyone who has ideas of programs that might fit in well for us, look at the site and find out when to apply. Some of our programs are open all the time and some have open and closed dates. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. Nicole, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. And let's all close that digital divide. Let's do it. Let's make lives better. (laughs) All right. I'm in. Thank you again, Sarah Armstrong, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.